and we are your hosts for the SaidMyComps.com podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, we are powered by Geek Energy. Thank you very much for joining us this week. Leo, what have you been up to since last week's podcast? Man, been working. Uh, edited the show real quick uh, right after we recorded it. Got that up on the site after a couple of mishaps. But, you know, we got the ball rolling. That's what matters. That's right. Technical glitches galore. But it doesn't matter because it's up now and people have been loving it. So now we're back with episode 29 in the list of the podcast category. And I want to say uh, that I steered up last week. Uh, about uh, a comic title that we had talked about. Uh, the title was uh, DMZ. So I went out and I got uh, the first couple of issues, and I've read up to issue four. Okay. And I have to say that uh, through the first arc, the, the first the first three issues, um, it reminded me a lot of an anime called Venus Wars. Um, but but with that aside, uh, the the series itself is beyond any sort of comparison that I can really give it to. I've never read anything quite like it. Like where the whole concept of the of, of the series is is there's this fictional war that's taking place uh, in in our time. And uh, Manhattan, correct me if I'm wrong. You you've read the series, but Manhattan is uh, this demilitarized zone, the DMZ. Yeah. And you have this uh, news channel, uh, Channel 5 News, I believe it is, uh, Liberty News. Uh, and they send in, send in this Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist and this intern, uh, Mike Roth, is that right? Maddie. Maddie Roth, yeah, there yeah. you go. Uh, he's the, the lucky chosen intern to go with this guy to in, in the middle of this war zone to, to see how the civilians are living uh, while they go through this uh, ceasefire that's taking place between the free states and the United States of America. Well, to make a long story short, uh, the the convoy is attacked, the helicopter is destroyed, the Pulitzer Prize winning journalist is obliterated, and uh, Roth is kind of left there to his own devices. Um, fast forward a couple pages and he has to really kind of come to terms with whether he wants to stay there and record like mm-hmm. what was intended to be done in the first place or if he wants to hightail it out of there and get back to the life that he knows. It's it's interesting. It's it's a great story, it's a great concept and the artwork is uh it's got a real gritty feel to it, uh kind of an anime feel to it. I believe the artist is Italian and that was his first American title. That he'd ever done. I, I believe there's a couple of artists over the course of it, but yeah, the first one, the first one is a, that is be an Italian, yeah. It's it's so good. If, if nobody's ever read DMZ, don't don't be a fool like me and think it's a another zombie title because that's initially <laughs> what I thought in the first place. Uh, check it out. It's it's worth reading. It's worth getting into. It's only thirty issues long, so it's it's not a huge investment, um, but. Uh, you know they're making it into a show on sci-fi. Yeah, I've, I've heard, which, I don't know, it's, it's interesting. I don't know how I feel about it. From the channel that brought us Sharknado comes DMZ. But, I mean, <laughs> sci-fi also did, what, Eureka and stuff, which was pretty and good. Farscape. Yeah, I mean, sci- sci-fi's had a decent record with the television shows they've made. It's the well, movies that aren't so great. <laughs> 
but with with the success of The Walking Dead, yeah, can sci-fi put that type of emphasis, that type of show drama, that type of suspense into a show that genuinely deserves that? Uh, I mean, because DMZ can't be a sci-fi original with no. the intention of a sci-fi original. It has to be... I mean, yeah, Something it has to be a, a real TV show, for, for lack of a better descriptor. It has to be a real show. Yeah, yeah, it, it can't be. It can't I, I be think DM, DMZ is a very good property to go that route with, simply because it's a very human story, and there's yes. a lot of it. And, I mean, one of, the, one of the things I always loved about it was the fact that even though the, this war, this new civil war, was such a big part of the book, you don't really find out a lot about it. Like it's just sort of see i I've made it as far as I've made it through the first story arc the it's yeah. three issues, and then the the next issue, which is ghosts, and it's about this uh they are or they aren't this paramilitary group that kind of got stuck yeah, on the entire, island there's an entire arc about the ghosts oh. it's, it's good. <laughs> but I mean the war I mean yeah, you learn more about it, you learn some of it, but it's not really. I mean, you could write a whole series about just that event, whereas it's sort of a kind of a background thing in DMZ. Right, and and it's a more character-driven story. Yeah. See, that's that's what I like. I, I like I, – I love the post-apocalyptic genre, and this kind of falls into that. It's like a second American Civil War. Yes. And if, if it's done right – I think we even talked about it last week. If it's done right, it can be – some of the best stories you'll ever read, but if it's done wrong, it can be absolutely terrible. Yeah. And and on that note, uh, that takes me to something else I did uh, during the ending of last podcast and this one. Uh, Amazon Prime, uh, if, if any of our listeners out there have that, they have this uh, <clears throat> pilots season that they have going on where they have a bunch of these different pilots that will that that could or could not be chosen uh to to go on to regular series kind of like what the networks do they put the yeah. pilot out there and depending upon the ratings and stuff that it gets uh greenlit for for a series well i was taking a look at that and uh on that list was a show called the after and it was done by chris carter the guy that did x-files mm-hmm I grew up watching X-Files. I loved X-Files. Loved the first movie. I actually uh, took a girl out on a date to <laughs> go see the first X-Files movie, and I fell asleep ten minutes in and woke up uh, five minutes before the movie ended. <laughs> she, was, she wasn't too happy with me. <laughs> oh, that's funny. But, but anyways, um, I watched the show, uh, The After, and if you're any fan of Chris Carter, any fan of the X-Files, this is a show that that you absolutely need to check out. I mean, it's it's got all the weirdness that Chris Carter puts into it along with the subtlety and uh the the hints to larger things uh all crammed into about 60 minutes. Like the whole premise of the story is um you have these uh seven different people that uh that have absolutely no relation to each other. No no connection to each other whatsoever, save for the fact that they all are in this building at the same time that this event takes place. Okay. 
and they kind of lead into the event being uh, some form of apocalypse, like like with angels and demons, possibly. I don't know. Chris Carter's really, really weird about how he does things, and, and what you think it may be, it usually isn't. So I'm not holding too much weight on that. But but anyways, um, at first you, you think they don't have any sort of connection, but then the the farther you get into the episode, you realize, like, the the one big connection they have, like, one girl is an aspiring actress, uh, uh, then there's a, a lawyer, uh, there's a call girl, uh, there's just some random dude, uh, a convict, a clown. <laughs> okay. Yeah, just a mix of different people, randomized people that you wouldn't think would uh, have anything to do with each other, and they all have the same birthday, and that somehow has, like, a big thing to do with the show, like March 7th is their birthday, a police officer, too. Okay. Um, but uh, the, the episode was good. It was, it was like, one of the best shows that, that I had seen in a while. It It took away the censors of the networks and stuff like that, and it just... It made it really awesome. Something totally worth checking out if anybody's got Amazon Prime. I do have Amazon Prime. I might go check that out after the podcast. You need to watch it. It's called The After. Really good, really worth the time. Okay. I'll write that down here in my little notepad. (laughs) Well, with that, why don't we go ahead and head right on into the news. All righty. Now, there's a lot of things that have been coming out uh, between the last podcast and this, uh, some of which being that uh, the costume designer is uh, teasing ideas for the Wonder Woman outfit for the new Batman vs. Superman movie. Mm. Um, uh, Let's see here. Other things, uh, the Warner Brothers is uh, building a Minecraft game or uh, movie. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. (laughs) I've never played the game. Uh, my, my son, my 10-year-old son, is all about Minecraft. He's like, get Minecraft. We have to buy this. We have to get it. Everybody's playing it. I want to play it, too. I have no idea what it's even about. <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, basically, you're the guy, and you just have to create weapons and armor and houses and just all kinds of stuff as you journey through the world. How does that translate into two hours? Of like a film. I don't know. How, how, how does <laughs> how, how does WoW translate? I mean, they're they're making a WoW movie too, from what I understand. Well, that's that's. I mean, history there, yeah, and there's background. a lot of lore and everything. But do you honestly think they're going to put that in the movie? I think that they'll pick a linear storyline, go with it for two hours, like, and have a lot of orcs squashing a bunch. Yeah, of I mean, they might have like a Lich King storyline or something. That'd be about it. <laughs> That'll be cool. Uh, Wizards of the Coast has even been uh, sending out feelers for for a film that they may or may not want to do, having to do with magic. Um, I watch that. Yes, it's got to be done right, though. It's got to be done right. If if it's done anything like the Dungeons and Dragons movie, then it's a waste of time. Don't don't even do it. If if you're going to be like, well. You have 20 life, and I just knocked you down 10, and yeah, you know, uh, you're half I dead. Mean, they would have to fully embrace, like, the planeswalkers as players kind of thing, you know what I mean? Yes. They would have to fully embrace that. <laughs> but anyways, um, we're, we're getting off topic. Uh, the first news item that, that we need to go over is, is, I think, the most important for this week. And that is that with uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, when that hits uh, theaters April 4th, if I'm not mistaken, 
before we get the pleasure of enjoying Marvel's next epic, uh, we get to see, for the first time, the Ninja Turtles trailer. Yeah. You tell me what you think about that. Uh, wh- uh, about what are your thoughts on the world or what? Yeah. Yeah. What the trailer may or may not have to show us. Uh, at first, you know, the movie in general is just kind of a big outrage for a lot of people on the internet. But it seems like they kind of backtracked. They're doing a little bit, a little bit more right. Because I saw some of the. Did, did you see the images from the set of like the character designs and stuff? I saw a lot of uh, the the onset shots yeah. where they were in the mocap outfits and stuff oh, like there, that. Oh, there was Megan Fox bouncing on more, a trampoline. More recently, that had like the full turtle get-ups. And you know, had the different turtles, and they're they're all a little bit differentiated in how they look and everything. I've heard there's like sunglasses and headphones and stuff like that. And yeah, I mean, they they, they look like they're a bunch of street punks, basically. Like they clothes they wear, <laughs> which is fitting because they live in the sewers. Right. But uh, I mean, the trailer itself is probably going to play up the fact that Megan Fox is in it. Let's be honest. <sighs> they they will probably play that up. Uh. There has to be some kind of, I mean, there has to be a cowabunga or something in there. A radical? Yeah, there has to be, <laughs> there has to be something. My main concern, I want to see how, uh, obviously, how the turtles are portrayed, because that's a big deal. If they're not portrayed in a certain light, uh being, you know, that, that they're big, they're green, they're, they're, they're ninja turtles... Um, they they don't necessarily have to have well well they have to have the colors e- even though those were brought about uh, because of the cartoon yeah. to differentiate between the four um, even if they don't have those I'll be okay with that but but that's kind of a staple now but uh, they they can't look ridiculous w- w- you would know you, would you rather they be the more serious turtles of the comics or the, yes okay or the you know kind of kid friendly ones of the show. Uh, I think Nickelodeon has that pretty much covered. Uh, their version of Ninja Turtles is is a really good one. I sit and watch that with my kids all the time, and I'm I'm very happy with how they have that. But for a movie like this, I know a lot of us grew up with the cartoon, and less of us grew up with with the version in the comic book. Mm-hmm. But I think if they can do a uh, element of both. Kind of yeah. throw in a little bit of that seriousness. Maybe see a little bit of blood on Leo's uh, katanas, you know. Yeah, I um, got you. And, and have Shredder be be more than just a faceless villain. Uh, th- then then that'll pique my interest. Um, and with with Splinter too, you know, he's. I don't know. I I'm expecting a lot and hoping for uh, and, and uh, expecting very little. I, I guess, yeah. Yeah. So it'll be I don't know, it'll be interesting because me and my brother grew up, you know, watching that cartoon and playing with those action figures. So yeah. it's something that, you know, I I have a lot of sentimental value in, but I, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. My my kids love it. Like I have uh the the last season of the original uh cartoons run and the fifth season 
uh, like right when they were in the height of their popularity. My, mm-hmm. my two-year-old son, when he goes to bed at night, that's what he has to watch is Ninja Turtles. Comes in a little pizza box and everything, and each disc looks like a pizza pie. And he's like, I want to watch this one, this one. I got to watch it. So, I, I yeah, like I said, I'm I'm expecting a lot and going to see very little. Yeah. You know, yeah. But anyways, moving on. Um next news item. Rocket Raccoon with uh the amount of popularity that is exploding over this character. Uh Marvel is going to give him his own title in July. My personal opinion on this, <laughs> I think it's a waste of time. And I'll tell you why. I don't think that Rocket Raccoon can carry a title on his own. A miniseries, a six-issue miniseries, yeah, that's great. Start it now, and that way it's right in the middle uh, when Guardians comes out, end it at the end of the summer. There you go. You're done. You're not oversaturating the market with a character that doesn't need to be in his own title. What do you think? Uh, I, I really don't have a lot of familiarity with the Guardians of the Galaxy or Rocket Raccoon in general. But I do think the fact that they picked Scotty Young to be the writer and artist on the series is perfect. Because his style... Because what I've read, it's not going to be a very serious series steeped in the you know, Marvel Galaxy lore. It's just yeah. going to be it's just, it's just going to be Rocket just kind of traveling around and blowing stuff up or something, yeah, <laughs> setting stuff on fire, yeah. stealing cars, and so stuff up. and so that that idea tra- will probably translate really well with Scotty Young's really just kind of chaotic and cartoony art. <laughs> on the the news link here, which we'll also put up uh, with a podcast blog post, uh, they've got some uh, pages uh, mm-hmm. put up here. And I'm looking right at him. It's got Groot in it, obviously, and and you can really tell with the uh, the art style. I even see Cyclops making a guest appearance in one of these panels. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like you said, with with the with the cartoon style art, that's perfect for something like this. Um, but but again, I don't think that a that Rocket Raccoon warrants an entire series, an, an unlimited series. It's, I mean, it's, it's probably not, you know, like a, like Amazing Spider-Man where it's going to go on for 700 issues. Right. It's probably more like Avengers Arena where they have, you know, 12 issues planned or something, and then that's yeah, it. Yeah, and they cancel it. Yeah. It's such a waste to me. Such a yeah. waste to me. Because, like, with Moon Knight, with Bendis' Moon Knight, I had such high expectations for that. And 12 issues in, they're like, you're gone. No more. We're done with this. Why? <laughs> Bendis is the perfect person to do Moon Knight justice, and they took it away. The, the but, new uh, Moon Knight looks pretty good, though. Have you been seeing that? Uh, I've caught bits and pieces of it, more, more like hearsay from my friends than anything else. I mean, it's uh, Warren Ellis and then Declan Shalby, I believe is how you say his name on art. I'll have to take a look at it. That, that's going to have to go on my list. He did some stuff on Venom. I think he was doing Daredevil at one point. Really? He he uh he kind of has like I I can't I can't think of someone to compare him to, so I just won't. <laughs> it's not even worth trying. I, I just can't think of the right name. So with Rocket Raccoon, is when it comes out in July, is that something that you're going to check out? Uh, 
Probably. <laughs> I'll probably give them, you know, three bucks at least once. I think it might be the title that I borrow from somebody. That's also possible, too. I, I might wait, <laughs> you know, two weeks or something and get it for two bucks of comicology. Right. There you know you what go. I mean? There you go. I, I might do something like that. <laughs> well, aside from that, I think that's about it for news. Uh, if, if anybody's watching Arrow, keep an eye out for Suicide Squad. Uh, they're going to be coming on in a future episode. Also, um, the CW has released the first official picture of uh, The Flash. Have you seen that? Uh, I saw people tweeting about it, but I didn't actually click on any links. It looks good. All, all they have is a headshot, but uh, with with the the gold bolt, okay. the ear is. Yeah. It looks solid. It, it looks nice. Maybe I'll have uh, to get into that. I don't know. I my time is so put into other things. Like I've got The Walking Dead on Sundays. I've got Shield on Tuesdays, uh, which which I am not overly satisfied with. I want them to do a little more, but uh, they, they've got this huge season, though, like 23 episodes or something yeah. like that. So, yeah, so like with other shows that do 13 to 16 episodes in a season, you know, we've got 10 more to go <laughs> mm -hmm. on top of that. But, you know, Arrow, I watched like the first half of the first season, and then it just kind of fell out. For me, not because I wasn't interested in it, but just because other things kind of took up my time. Season but, one's on Netflix. Yeah, so yeah, you know. it's in my queue. <laughs> I'm yeah. in the middle of uh, watching Archer. Oh, okay, that good pick, good pick. <laughs> Love Archer. That that that's another podcast all by itself, though. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. But uh, but with season two of Arrow, uh. You know they're they're kind of bringing in the, the the wider expanse of the DC universe, at least on television. I mean, uh, Deathstrokes uh, made appearances. Uh, Deadshot, uh, who who will be with the uh, the Suicide Squad, um, Bronze Tiger, jeez, uh, who else? Uh, the Flash, obviously, which is getting put onto its own show, uh, and just more and more and more. They're they're going away from the realism. Kind of like like yeah. keeping it, but but still going into the mystical that it's, the DC universe provides. It's also really interesting that Green Arrow and Flash are the two. Yeah, right. That, like it's very interesting. But Green Arrow really seems to be working for him. So hey, yeah, yeah. Everybody loves the show. I I, I don't think I've heard a bad complaint about the show. Yeah. And there's even been talks, like it's just talks, everybody talks, but there's been talks about uh, somehow incorporating the world of the show with the world that they're trying to provide in the films. Hmm. That That's all hearsay. Yeah, right yeah. Now, but, yeah. But anyways... Moving on. Let's go ahead and go with our pull list. Let's see here. The two comics that we have for you guys this week. Uh, one is a, is an independent release. It's called Sage Escape, and that releases on March 11th. And the other is Veil Number 1 from Dark Horse Comics. Leo, let's go ahead and do Sage Escape first. <laughs> 
All right. You uh, you start with what you think. Okay. Sage Escape. Uh, now, Damien, I, I know you're listening to this, so don't get mad at me if I mess up your last name. Uh, but it's uh, Damien uh, Semankowitz. I could be wrong. I probably am. If I am, chastise me in the comments. No, I mean, that's, that's what I would go with, too. <laughs> there you go. But but he's the writer and artist. This is totally his book. It's put out by a company called Primal Archetype. And basically what the, the point of the book is, is uh, it's it's in the far distant future. And you have these corporations, I want to say, that, that kind of have taken – or, or families that have taken control of various aspects of living, uh, and and it's gone over the expanse of the solar system and and, and the la- and the larger part of the galaxy, and you have these uh, salesmen type things. They're like enforcers that go from planet to planet, taking care of business and and stirring up all kinds of mess and nastiness and stuff like that. Well, Sage was a, a new prototype that escaped, hence the name of the, the series itself, Sage Escape. And uh, it's kind of all about her and where she came from and uh, her uh, going after the daughter of this uh, family, the Cray the family, I believe, uh, who, who is like the, the top uh, in in a series of other people that that have control over everything, they they went to this uh, colony on Earth in in the lower part of Australia, and just destroyed it. And there's like this media blackout, and and nobody's uh, able to find anything out about it except for what they want you to know. But Sage knows different, and she's going to find out what the heck's going on. So, here's my thoughts on this. Uh, the, the book itself has a real 90s feel, which isn't a bad thing. Uh, the, the action is solid, and it flows. Uh, it, it's it's linear. The, the the story is written in a very linear fashion. Uh, it keeps you vested on a straight path that does not deviate. And I think for a book like this, that's something that it needs to do. Um, your mind is allowed to world build while the story takes place in front of you. Um, the artwork does have that amateur feel to it. I mean, I mean, it really does. That's that's probably the most obvious thing about the book. Um, but if it were put out with a little more attention to detail instead of making it more uh, look generic, visually it'd be as compelling as the story is. Um, characters are at the at the start of this story. They're they're in the process of being fleshed out, and over the course of the three issues, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. But I'm very curious about the whole concept of the story and where it's going to go from there. Um, as far as a rating goes, Damien's writing is is what caught me more than anything else about the book, so I give that a 7. I give that a straight, honest 7 out of 10. Uh, he had me interested from, from the beginning of the book to the end. It's, a kind of, it's the kind of title that you have to suspend disbelief for, um, but, uh, but he had me. He had me from the start. His artwork, on the other hand, uh, a little less so. Uh, if, if maybe he would get somebody else to do the artwork, or if he wanted to still continue with the artwork, put a bit more detail into it instead of making it look po- as polished and 
non-detail oriented as it was. So I give the artwork a five. Overall, it gets a six out of ten. Uh, yeah, I mean it's it's definitely you, you can tell it's an indie comic. I think is the best way to put it. I guess it's deep underground. Yeah, I mean, you can tell it's not professional, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But then when you right. have stuff like, like there's a book called Doc Unknown, who is it's basically just two dudes making their comic. And, you, I mean, it would be, the look and the, the quality would be completely at home at Dark Horse or Image. And then you have something like Sadescape, which while not terrible, you can tell it's, you can tell it's an independent book. Right. But I agree with you, the story is probably the better facet of it compared to the artwork. But I also think there's, at times, a little bit too much narration. Like right, the, I the, can see that. More more her thoughts than what's actually yes, going on. I believe, there. I, I mean, there's a couple of instances where I think the story would probably do better without as much of her thoughts and, you know, the little narration boxes. Kind of get a little more of the sense of what's going on in the rest yeah. of the world of Sage Escape. Let, let, the, uh, let the reader kind of put it together themselves rather than gotcha. just told completely what it is. Instead of having, instead of being led by the hand, yeah, have the story be able to let you go every now and then so that way you can get lost. Yes. Yeah, gotcha. And okay. I mean, it's not bad. It's not bad at all. It's not, you know, I've, I've read worse, no doubt. But I just think with a little bit more work, a little bit more effort, it could be a good comic. Right on. So overall, with the writing, what would you give that? Uh, I'm probably with you on a seven, yeah. Okay, and uh, the artwork? I'm probably with you on a five there, too. So I guess I'll give it a six as well overall. Right on. So right around there, 6 out of 10 for Sage Escape. Let's go on to Veil, number one, from Dark Horse. Leo, this was your choice, so you go ahead and tell us what it's about. All right, so Veil, it's uh, Greg Rucka and Tony Fezula. I'm sure I've mispronounced that. So, oh, I think that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I, was, I was working on that all day today. I'm like, veg, veg, what? Okay, anyways. So, so basically the premise is... Just out of nowhere, this girl wakes up in the, in the subway, naked, alone, no memories. She's, you know, trying to remember how to talk. She has no memories of anything. She wanders out into the city and is found by a group of guys, a couple of which have less than uh, wholesome intentions for the, right. you know, naked teenage girl that is found. I believe uh, the, the one guy said, I'm going to get me a large piece of that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm going to take a, a big, sweet piece of her, is what he said. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, but, but one of the group of guys, he's, uh, he, he he's a little better than they are, so he yeah. takes her home, he gets her some clothes, he tries to figure out what's wrong with her. His buddies are not so happy about it, so, you know, they, they come to, you know, Figure some stuff out, I guess you could say. They have vested interest in her well-being. Yes, they they have laid claim to her. <laughs> yeah. And at the end of the book, you sort of find out that 
uh, this girl they found, which I believe she calls herself Belle, which is mm-hmm. where the title comes from. This girl, this girl that they just found is a little bit different than what they were expecting. As you know, as you see in the last couple of pages of the book. Yeah. And this was a. Uh, I I dug this story. In the back matter, uh, Greg Rucka is talking about how, you know, he's just kind of had this idea rattling around for you know twenty years. He says. Yeah, uh, the the last page of the book where he gives his own thoughts on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, yeah, he somehow has this idea rattling around for twenty years, and it was only because of uh, Scott Alley over at Dark Horse that it finally happened. And I mean, this is this is an incredibly interesting story. It's it's one of those first issues where it doesn't give you a whole lot of a uh, of of the broader scope of the story, but it really really grabs you and makes you want to read the second issue. Because I mean, you have there's just so much you you're you're left wondering about, and so you want you want to read the second issue. That's no joke. I I mean, you are given the absolute slimmest sliver of light into what's going on. Yeah. Which which I I like sometimes if it's done right, which I think it's done right with Bell. But also I really think the art by with a Tony Fezula, I think we decided yeah. on. Yeah. It, it's a it's a very different sort of art style. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like it in a, you know, mainstream book. But it's I, abstract. It's it's I, very I abstract it, to me. Yeah, I dig it. I, I like the shading on a lot of it, which really seems to kind of fit the tone of the book. Huh. And, and the uh, color, the colors are muted too. They're yeah, they're very dull. Yeah, there's a lot of muted colors, a lot of cool colors too, a lot of purples and blues. Yep. Which I don't know. It's, it's a nice palette for the book to use and gives it kind of a on a dreary feel, I guess is the best way to put it. Right on. So, so overall, what would you give the writing for this? Uh, good writing a nine. A nine? Yes. I, I dug it. I really liked this. Nice. And what about the artwork? Uh, give that... I'm, I'm flipping through this PDF to kind of look at it. <laughs> So, um, it's it, it's a different sort of style, and while I like it, some of it's still a little bit off feeling to me. So I'll go with an eight. An eight. So the book gets an eight and a half out of ten. Yes. Okay. I, however, was not nearly as impressed with it as you were. Oh man. Um, <laughs> the, here's my thoughts. It's very weird. Like like the entire thing from from start w- with the image of the rat and like the first two pages that have absolutely no words to it whatsoever, which doesn't bother me. That that sets a really big tone for the story, um, and and all the way to the last page when when they're leaving uh, the guy's apartment uh, after the events that take place at the very end of the book. Uh, it, it all has this really weird feel to it, like like I'm. <laughs> I'm thrown in the middle of this movie. I have no idea what in the world is going on. And then when the movie's over, it's like, so what would you think about it? Well, I don't even know what the hell just happened. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to feel. I feel kind of kind of violated a little bit. But 
uh, as far as like the artwork, the artwork, like I said before, it has a very abstract art feel to it. Like the thing that I was uh, reminded of the most, and I know it's probably a bad uh, comparison, but it looked like Picasso art in comic form. <laughs> that, like, I could, like I the, could see that, I guess. Yeah, the the way that he did uh, the shadows and things like that, and it, it just uh, it, it took my attention away from everything. Like I was too busy trying to to differentiate that and and figuring if those were facial tattoos or if it were the shadows, and then it's the shadows. Okay, so now get back into the story. Wait a minute, now. It just looked really weird. Um, too much shadow play, like I said in the artwork, uh, makes it a little off-putting to look at. I'm left with just as many questions uh, as when I started. And, and that's not bad either, because like with this, this is a title that you have to be vested in, uh, especially for the long haul, depending upon how long the series goes for. It has the sort of uh, multi-layered story that if it's done right it could pay off remarkably in the long run. You know, but but if if they leave you with nothing, if if Greg Rucka leaves you with bits and pieces every now and then, mm-hmm. you'll get tired of that after a couple of issues and and you won't know anything. So I would check out the second issue just to see how much more he gives me from the first. Okay. But if it's not any more than what I got in the first issue, I'd drop it. Like I said, uh, multi-layered story, if it's done right, pays off remarkable in the end. But it, but if he's leaving me with nothing, then I, I can't be vested in it. So overall, the writing gets a 6 out of 10 from me, and the artwork gets a five. I give it a five and a half out of ten. So, so basically what I liked about it, you didn't like pretty much? Oh. <laughs> it, it took away so much from me. No, I mean, that, that's good, though. We get two different perspectives. That's good. That's yeah. good. Yeah. So, so on this podcast, ladies and gentlemen, you'll see that uh, not every week Leo and I agree on the same books. Yeah. And that's good. That's a good thing. So, what it, what titles are you reading right now? Uh, I just I just read the review copies for Starlight Number One from Image by uh, Mark Millar and Goran Pavlov or Pavlov. Nice, Millar's got a new title coming out. Yeah, it it was good. It was better than I was expecting, honestly. Cause I'm not a huge Millar fan. I I loved his uh, 1985 from Marvel. I don't think I've read that. I, you have to. You have to read that. I did it, uh, it in it's all in the trades review. Oh, okay. Nineteen eighty five. One of the one of the fav, one of my favorite miniseries ever. Yeah, it's I don't know, it I'm just not a huge fan of his stuff for the most part. But I really dug that first issue, so I'll you know, I'll see where it goes. Nice. What else are you reading? Uh let's see. Uh obviously Bale, which I don't think you'll be reading. But uh <laughs> I'll I'll check out number two and and beyond that we'll see. Headspace number one comes out this week from Monkey Brain, which I am very much looking forward to. I'll have a interview with writer Ryan K. Lindsay on the blog and I believe Chip will have a review of number one. 
Nice. That's something to look forward to. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's all I can really think of right now. What about you? What do you got? I checked out New Warriors number one uh, from Marvel. Uh, the, it's a good idea, but uh, they they had entirely too much going on. Like, each character uh, got got a couple of pages, and then they went to another one, then they went okay. to another one, then they went to another one. And uh, the High Evolutionary is, is supposed to be their bad guy. And, and with the team of the New Warriors, how on earth, how in the 616 Marvel Universe are the New Warriors consisting of Scarlet Spider, Justice, Speedball, who I thought was Penance, from Civil War, but obviously I've missed a lot. I think you've uh, changed back. <laughs> and the other way down there characters, how are they going to take on somebody like the High Evolutionary? That makes no sense to me. Huh. They, they need to they need to not focus on showing like the aspects of each person because you don't get enough time with them. And yeah, they yeah. need to bring them together as a team. But Marvel does the, the six-issue storylines to make the trades. So, you know, we'll see how it goes. I'll stick with it through the six. Uh, and if I don't like it from there, that's something that I'll drop. Okay. Um, I read uh, Batman and Robin number 28, which is Batman and Two-Face number 28. That, uh, I, I came in in the middle of a storyline, and I felt like I was right where I needed to be. Loved it. Hmm. Loved it. I will be picking that up. Um, especially with the cliffhanger at the end. Uh, that, mm. that, was, that was worth reading. Everything for that, it was, it was worth reading. Uh, and uh, I've read Punisher number one and number two. Uh, and I really dug both of those. Like, okay, uh, in the 616 universe, I don't think that the Punisher is allowed to be who he needs to be. Um, and I think that during Civil War, they showed a little bit of that, like when he was killing villains yeah. and stuff. But uh, they've never really gone back to that until now. Um, like the these two issues, he leaves New York, he goes to Los Angeles, and uh, he's going after this uh, drug cartel or something like that. It's... It's where the Punisher needs to be. Like, the, the Punisher is not a go-out-and-fight-the-hobgoblin kind of guy, you know? Like, he could care less about any of that stuff. The yeah, thing he, he's he cares about. Level. Yeah, absolutely. The, he cares more about, you know, the, the drugs and the murderers and the rapists and, and the child molesters and things like that. Those are his villains. Those are the ones that he's going after. And the one line in the book really said it all. You know, he was he was sitting in this diner, uh, and this is part of his supporting cast. Like, he's got a police officer that's part of his supporting cast, uh, hmm. an old military buddy that uh, is part of his supporting cast, and this guy that runs this diner that, that he goes in there and talks to. Uh, none of them, except for the military guy, know who he is, you know. But uh, the, the guy at the diner, he was like, you know, they, uh, what did he say? Shoot, no. The, the the guy in the diner knows knows that he's the Punisher, I believe. Uh, but uh, you know, he was like, "They're not afraid of the Avengers. They're afraid of you." 
And I was like, oh, that's it right there. That, that yeah. got me hooked. <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm vested in that. Vested is my word of the day, obviously. But, uh, <laughs> I, I am in that series. The Punisher series, I, I'm in it. I love it. I, I've seen, uh, you know, some panels and stuff being tweeted out on, online. And it it's looks, good. And it looks like he's a, uh, almost like an ex special forces or something. You know what I mean? Like just the look they have him. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they're it, it's pretty they're really play, Yeah, they're really playing into who he was. You yeah, know, like like his police background because he makes mention of that when he's sitting there talking to uh, the the female police officer. He's like, "You should try this gun with this holster," and and they make jokes back and forth about that stuff. So so when he's not being the Punisher, you kind of get to see a little bit of who he is and like the facade that he has to put on in front of these people because when he is the punisher he is who he is mm-hmm. you know it's like like he's he's the batman of the marvel universe if batman were allowed to kill yeah 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 so but uh, aside from that i am reading dmz and i will be reading at least two issues tonight i've i've got issue 5 ready to go and I think that's a standalone, and then issue six starts a new story arc. Nice. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited about that. I've that that's the one. <laughs> I'm ready to read that, and I've got Aquaman sitting in the in the background waiting for me to read. I'm glad I could turn you on to DMZ. I'm always happy to hear the people reading it. Uh, Sweet Tooth is next on my. Oh list. yeah. So I'll I be mean, checking you, that you out. Kids and stuff too, so it'll be like twice as good for you. <laughs> I'm trying to get my daughter. She she's 15. I'm trying to get her uh into books. She's obviously resisting, but she'll give in sooner or later. Um but uh like <clears throat> her big things are uh, she loves the DC universe. Okay. Like, like when I was giving her all these kind of books to read a couple of years ago. I was like, "Here you go. These are the books that you can read. These are the books that are right up your alley. And it was all female characters. It was like, here's the X-Men. You know, it has Storm, and it has Jean Grey, and it has Rogue, and it has Jubilee, and, and stuff like that, like the old 90s stuff. She wasn't really that interested in that. And I passed her along She-Hulk. Uh, she she kind of liked the idea of that. But then I gave her uh, a Batman issue, and immediately she was hooked. It, it went from there. It had something to do with the Joker. I can't remember... Which issue it was, she could tell you. But uh, from there, it just kind of exploded. It was like, okay, my favorite characters are Harley Quinn, Poison Ivy, and Catwoman. Whoa. Where did this come from? (laughs) And, uh... I mean, Harley Quinn and Catwoman both have an ongoing now, so... Yeah, yeah. But she's she's stuck on uh, the stuff from the early 2000s. Oh, okay. Uh, That series for Harley Quinn and... uh, we bought her the uh, the Brubaker uh, Catwoman stuff uh, that had uh, the artwork from the guy that did uh, New Frontier. I can't remember his name for the light. Uh, Darwin Cook. But, uh, yeah, thank you. Um, she, she read that. We got it for, for her birthday. She read that. Didn't like it. Didn't like it at all. I was like, well, what's wrong with it? Give me that book. Let me read it. And I sat there and I read it and I fell in love with it. Oh, so good. Brubaker's Catwoman is is amazing. It's astounding. Kids Nobody's ever read it. Appreciate anything. 
No, she, she's young. She, she doesn't know any better. <laughs> but uh, the, the whole point is, is, is like with the books that I read, the, the, the new titles that I check out, the first person that comes to mind is her, and it's like, will she like this? Is this something that she could get into? Yeah. Well, I'm 34. I can get into anything. She's 15, and if it would capture her interest, then it's got to be something good. Okay. Yeah. But anyways, that takes us into uh, kind of what we're getting to with the whole podcast, like what we want to talk about. Um, you play video games, right? Yeah, of course. Okay, what systems do you have in your house? Uh, PS3, I do a lot of stuff on my computer as well. You do a lot of PC gaming? Yeah, I have several games on my Steam account that I you know, mess around with. Nice. So you've got a PlayStation 3 and you've got the, the PC. Yeah, I mean, I've got some older, like, I've got a Game Boy Advance and stuff, too, but that doesn't get much use nowadays. You can't go wrong with that, though. The yeah. old Fantastic Four game for that, that was really good. <laughs> in my house I have I have my laptop which I do no gaming on whatsoever. I that that is a glorified web surfer for me. Um <laughs> uh then I have my Xbox 360 uh which which I use well I did use nearly every day until I picked up my Xbox 1 which I am doing the podcast over now. Um so what games are you playing right now? Like, what's what's the main game you're playing on the computer, and what's the main game you're playing on the PS3? Uh, on the PS3, I just recently picked up The Last of Us. Oh, which my God. I'm, I want to say I'm about eight hours into it, give or take, right now. I've heard nothing but good things about it's, that. Like, it's really good, but, you know, it's a, it's a survival horror game. And I get stressed out so easily by games. <laughs> and so I can't play it for more than like an hour or two at a time just because it stresses me out so bad. Wow. Is it because it's too hard or because you're too vested? vested? It's, like, <laughs> like it's not too hard because, you know, it just, it's kind of like Resident Evil where yeah. more or less it's a linear thing where you know where you're going even though it's a fairly open Are you world. Just that engaged in the storyline? Yeah, I mean, I don't even think it's that. It's just like I get stressed out about stuff when it comes <laughs> to video games. I just get so stressed about it. Wow. And and I, I'm at this point right now where I have to start a generator, but every time I do, the mutants that, I, that I'm trying to avoid come up and attack me in between pulls of the generator cord. And oh, it wow. stresses me out so bad because I have to keep fighting them and I have to go pull it again. And, oh, man. <laughs> It's killing me. Uh, but I'm playing mainly that on PS3, and then uh, on Steam it sort of varies. I'm a very, I'm a big fan of uh, Civilization, so Civ right Civ Five gets a lot of playtime. Civilization is one of the free games on Xbox uh, Free for Gold this month. Is it? Uh, is it the Civilization Revolution? Yeah, that's that's the worst Civilization game. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. That's the worst one. <laughs> well, it's typical of Microsoft, though. I mean, like, the, with their free-for-gold, they've been putting out some good stuff, like Sleeping Dogs, which I missed, uh, and Halo 3, uh, Gears of War, uh, Dead Rising 2, Dead Island recently. But uh, the the thing is, and that the, a lot of people are complaining about, is they're just not putting out enough. 
you know, yeah. or like enough good quality titles. And like you said, Civilization Revolution is the worst in the series, and they throw it to us for free. Yeah, it's it's the worst one. I I bought it when it first came out on PS3 because I was so excited that there was a PlayStation that there's a Civilization game on a console. <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, like yeah. Well, actually, I think Civ 2 was on the console back in the day, but there hadn't been on one, been one on the console in a while, so I was excited. And yeah, it was it was bad. It was horrible. <laughs> well, for me. Uh... On my 360, the the game that I'm playing now uh, is uh, Halo 3. I'm running through that on Legendary, and I'm stuck on this uh, this one part. Like it's it's toward the end. I know that after this, I just gotta make it through this, and and then there's like one or two more uh, hardcore levels, and then I'm done. But I'm just stuck in this one spot where you're in the middle of this flood ship, and and those that have played Halo know what I'm talking about. Um, yeah. And uh, the, this flesh door opens, and you walk in, and there's all these members of the flood that are up on top of this ledge, and then you have these little creepy crawlies that run around and explode into little flood things, and they come after you. And every time I walk in there with the low-on-ammo weapons that I have, it's never enough to, to plow through, and I don't know where to go. I don't know if I have to go up or forward or through or whatever. And it's just totally frustrating. And uh, on the Xbox One, I am playing quite possibly one of the funnest games that I have played in a long time, and that is Lego Marvel Super Heroes. Nice. Yeah, I love it. I watched uh, my my ten year old beat the crap out of it uh, when I when I first got the system. That's one of my uh, the games that I bought with the system. And uh, he played the snot out of it. Like, here, watch what I'm doing. Can you help me with this? I've never played it. I don't know what to do. Well, here, help me. How do I get out of this level? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) So I'm like halfway through it now, and I'm seeing all the trouble that he had. And I I watched what he did, so now I know what to do, and I don't have to worry about it. But... uh, but it's a blast. It's fun. Anybody that's played any Lego games, I mean, it's it's all you do is go in and destroy and run around, and you get to see all the cool characters, and it's awesome. I love yeah. it. But that brings us to the the weekly distraction, uh, which would be the evolution of the video game. Now, now with what we've been talking about these past couple of minutes, obviously that's the current generation of gaming systems. That's like the seventh and eighth generation of gaming systems with the PS3 and the Xbox 360 Mm -hmm. and now the the PS4 and the Xbox One. And even with uh, the the cloud-based systems uh, on the PC, like like with Steam and and Xbox has their SkyDrive, I believe, uh, the the iCloud, you know, from Apple. Um, But take that all the way back like 60-plus years, uh, back into the 50s when computers, each second of the computer's time had to be dialogued. It had to be recorded. You had to know exactly what that thing was doing because these, these machines were massively huge. They, you couldn't spare any time for anything else, even as mundane as playing a game. But uh, you you have those guys, you know, on their off time that are creating new programs, new codes, new things like that to see what these computers can do. And and over the course of of time in the 50s and and early 60s even, you know, you had uh, – they created the chess programs, 
that eventually ended up beating the first person. Uh, the spaced war that that uh, they had come out with uh, that uh, what was it the PDX ones or PDP one systems or something like that. I was reading all about it today. Like I was, I was doing heavy <laughs> research on it, so I was I was totally interested in the history of video games. And my wife, uh, we were getting ready to eat lunch, and she said, "What are you doing?" I said, "Nothing. I'm just filling my head with video games." And she says, "Why?" I said, "Cause I'm doing it on the podcast today." She just shook her head and walked away. But uh, <laughs> but anyways, that that takes you to like the the early seventies uh, when things really started to explode, you know. And and Pong is obviously that uh, with, with the the simple thing, tennis for two, even uh, the program that that was made before uh, Pong. But uh, Pong is kind of really what started it. You know, you, you had the simple system, the simple game of uh, hitting this ball back and forth between two solid uh, pegs. And, and it was explosive. You know, everybody had to have it. Everybody had to do it. And it just kind of went from there. And then you have the arcades uh, with the likes of, like, Asteroids and Centipede. And, and that's even taking it way farther beyond what Pog was even or Pong was even capable of. Uh, and then you come into the home systems. And, and this is what we were talking about before uh, we even started the podcast, how, how big of an age gap there is between the both of us. Yeah. You know, like like when I was growing up, I rem- <laughs> this is going to age me, but I remember when the Atari 2600 came out. You know, I I remember when my dad came home with that in the box and he set it down. He's like, look what I have. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sitting there, my favorite game to play on the Atari was Moon Patrol. You had, I, I love the Atari. You had this little joystick, you know. You you know what it is. With the one button, the big square platform, and this, this thing sticking up. Mm-hmm. And uh, any anybody that's played any sort of video games knows what an Atari joystick looks like. But Moon Patrol was just like this never-ending game where you just went over these different levels of the moon and you, you were in this little rover and you could jump over things and it had this little gun on it that you could shoot aliens that were trying to destroy you and stuff like that. And it was just that constantly. And like my other favorite game on the Atari was Missile Command. I was all about some Missile Command. (laughs) But uh, what was the first system that you remember having? Uh, I know we had a... We had a. I know. I remember us having a regular Nintendo, a Super Nintendo, a Sega Saturn, and a Sega Genesis, and those were the first ones I really remember. Wow. <laughs> Cause, Cause, uh, which was your favorite? Because I'm, I'm the youngest of three, so my brother is you know a few years older than I am, so he's yeah. you know he, he's a little closer to your age, so we had some of the older systems. Do we need to say how old I am so people? No, no, it's okay. We don't. We don't need to. <laughs> we, we don't need to to age you that badly. There you go. <laughs> no, uh, I I mean, you know, Super Nintendo's a classic because you have Mario and everything. But I I, I can remember living in uh, the apartment complex that I lived in in Michigan, and we were one of the only ones that had an Atari. And kids would come over and knock on the door, and my dad would answer, and they'd be like, can we hang out with Tim? Well, yeah, sure. And they'd come in, and we'd sit down and play Atari all day long. Loved it. And then getting to the systems that, 
that you're talking about now with the Nintendo. Um, my first introduction to the Nintendo was uh, when we met my soon-to-be stepdad for the uh-huh. first time. Yeah, and he had a Nintendo. He had Kid Icarus, Super Mario Brothers, <laughs> Ghosts and Goblins, and Excitebike. And that was my introduction into the 8-bit world of Nintendo. I remember trying to play that uh, that Zelda game, uh, you know, A Link to the Past or whatever, on the freaking oh, Nintendo, that... and it being the most difficult game in the world. Like the original Zelda? Yeah. The Legend of Zelda? Yeah. What, like whatever. Link to the Past came out uh, for the 64, if oh, I'm okay. not mistaken. Okay, well, yeah. What, what, the original one where it's basically impossible. Or at least it was when I was like six or seven. The the most impossible game for me on the Nintendo had to be the Mega Man series. Like, I never had any problem with anything else. Contra, watch out. We'll beat that game in less than 20 minutes. Uh, Ghosts and Goblins, I was awesome at that. Kid Icarus, I could make it all the way to the end. You put Mega Man in front of me? No, it was like running into a wall. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh... That kind of takes us there, you know, like when Atari was out, that was that was the top of the line, you know, that that was the big thing. And then interest kind of started to fade. You know, the arcades were still going strong, mm-hmm. you know, with, with, with everything that was coming out. And, and with the Atari, they could kind of port that onto the cartridges, you know, but... You'd get the simplistic graphics like with Frogger or Pitfall or anything like that. Those are all classics now, but but I mean they were nothing compared to what the arcades could provide, and and kids would much rather pump the quarters in than deal with this novelty, you know. But then Nintendo hits the market, and and that re-revolutionizes the industry because that games were made for that, you know. That was the market there and uh you know like with super mario brothers their their namesake i mean it, it just exploded how many hours did you put into super mario i mean I don't, we, we played that so many times <laughs> i tried I, to I discover remember, all those little yeah no i, like I remember me and my brother figured out like the the world the warp tunnel on what like level two or something yeah yeah, yeah, down in the underground. Yeah, I remember we figured that out, and we thought we were the you know we were the smartest kids alive. <laughs> Do you know how to get to the warp? What? No. Yeah, we thought we were the smartest kids alive when we figured that out. Ah, <laughs> oh, jeez, I, I, I loved playing the Nintendo. Like, even with all its aggravations, like having to blow on the cartridges and blow the inside of the machine, and having to pop the cartridge in it a certain way so that it would play, you know? It, yeah. But uh, but but with that, you know, Nintendo kind of dominated the market, and it just, for for the longest time, it seemed like that's all there would be. And, and then, you know, Sega started kind of working its way up. And when the Super Nintendo came out, the 16-bit world, the next generation of graphics, that was mind-blowing. Uh, and, and the Genesis was right behind that and and with that that's when mature titles 
started to come out. You know, like Nintendo would do Super Mario Brothers, and they'd have Metroid, and they'd have games like Final Fight and Street mm-hmm. Fighter and stuff like that. And even though there was violence in there, it wasn't anything more than, you know, when when they would punch, you'd see the flash and, and stuff like yeah. that, but no blood would fly. Enter Mortal Kombat, and, Mortal and that Kombat. changed. Oh man, <laughs> that changed the rules forever. You know, uh, in the arcade, uh, people were going crazy over that. I remember when Mortal Kombat came out. The, my first experience with that was on the Super Nintendo, and that was the edited version. There, there yeah. was no blood whatsoever. But I mean, me and my buddies, we would rent that game when video stores were still out. Uh, and we would sit there and we would play that all weekend, and, all weekend long. And, like, the thing about that is this is before, you know, you had the Internet where you just get on game packs and, you know, look up everything. Yeah. And so you had to sit there for, like, six hours and just smash buttons, and eventually you figure out what the fatality was. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, you're sitting there playing, you're, you're whooping your friend's tail, and, and all, all of a sudden, sudden you do something amazing. <laughs> How did you do that? Wait a minute. How did you do that? Yeah. I don't know, dude. I was just hitting buttons. <laughs> yeah. We've got to figure that out. We know it's possible now. Show me the rotation that you were doing. What buttons did you hit at the exact moment? Oh, my God. But uh, going forward, you know, Mortal Kombat changed the rules. The Genesis capitalized on that and took uh, those mature type games. They put everything in there, the blood, the the death, the gore, all that stuff. And looking back on it now, I mean, it, it's it's really it, it's super it, tame. Yeah, compared to compared to everything that's out now, like yeah. con- Halo and Call of Duty, and I mean, even Last of Us. I mean, a I mean, there's, I mean, a a vital part of the game is the fact that I can sneak up to stab dudes in the neck so they don't know I'm there. <laughs> Right, and and back when Mortal Kombat came out, they were worried about uh, the yeah about, the about little blood of, yeah the the destruction of our culture, our youth was going to be forever tainted and destroyed. But uh, you know the the sixteen bit world ruled for a long time. You you were either a Super Nintendo fan. Or you were a Genesis fan, and if your parents were rich enough, you had both of them. <laughs> but uh, we always had the Super Nintendo. The Super Nintendo was was the big thing that we had there. That's where I played Maximum Carnage. That's where I played X Men and Spider Man versus Arcade. Uh, that's that's where I I learned uh, that I really enjoyed games like Super R Type and Gradius Three, and and things like that. The, the space shooters. And all that stuff. Uh, while my friends were playing Final Fantasy 2 and Final Fantasy 3 and Mystic Quest and stuff like that, I was playing Super R-Type and Ninja Warrior and and all that stuff. So when everybody veered off to the RPGs, which, which started to become even more popular than they were before, you know, uh, then you get into the the 32-bit. Systems, uh, the the Sega CD, even you know beyond mm-hmm. that, the 32X, the adaption that you could put right into your Sega, pop in your games, and it would uh, it was like a graphics booster, if I remember correctly. But uh, <clears throat> going even beyond that, then you have the 64-bit systems, you know, Nintendo 64, the the 
the change of the controller. You know, that was such a drastic change for the system itself. It, I mean, then, you had to have three hands to use it, right? Holy cow. You, you know had what I mean? big protrusion yeah. in the center with the joystick, and you would hold it on the side kind of awkwardly to run the D-pad. And then if you didn't want to use the joystick, then you would pop yeah. it back. Where, I mean, yeah. half of the controller never got used. Yeah, right. <laughs> but but there is where Nintendo I think started to kind of venture out a little bit. And and when the 64 was out, I was over at my buddy Scott's house uh playing the likes of WrestleMania and NWO Revenge and stuff like that and Conker's Bad Fur Day. Me and my buddy Scott uh we would sit there, and you, uh, anybody that's listened to the podcast or read the blog knows who Scott is. Scott Shea, he did uh, video game articles for us for a little while, and uh, he was also a special guest on the podcast quite frequently. Um, but uh, he, he and I grew up together, and we would sit there and play Conker's Bad Fur Day. I'd go over to his house, we'd make French bread pizzas and sit and play Conker's all day. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> Loved it, loved it. Play wrestling, I'd fall asleep on the floor and he'd still play, I'd wake up and we'd start playing again. But uh, Nintendo had controlled everything, basically, like the past three systems up to that point. And then you come out with the PlayStation. Oh, God, the PlayStation. Oh, what was your first PlayStation game? I know what my first one was. Uh, it's probably either a Resident Evil game or uh, <laughs> or Final Fantasy VII. My first PlayStation game was uh, one of the release titles, and it was called Battle Arena Toshinden. I don't think I ever played that one. Yeah, I played that with my buddy Jason all the time. He was the only one that we knew that had a PlayStation, and we would go <laughs> over there and have Battle Arena Toshinden tournaments. <laughs> See, my, my brother was the one that always had this PlayStation. Yeah. But I always had a Game Boy from the time I was like five. Oh, the Game Boy! I, I got I got one of the giant gray Game Boys, you know. Yeah, when, during when, the course. When when I when I turned five, that was my birthday present. It still worked when I was fifteen. And it had the the green and gray color yep. scheme. <laughs> I got one of those giant just brick ones when I was five, and it oh. still worked ten years later. So I mean, you know, they they were made to last. Those things could you could build houses with those. Like they were as sturdy as mortar brick. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I was five. I dropped it so many times. It, I mean, but it never cracked. It never broke. It still worked after ten years. Right. See, and and during the course of all this, you have the portable gaming system. Yeah. You know, you you have the Game Boy that came out. Um, do you remember Game Boy Virtual? Like the virtual reality game, yeah, kinda, kinda. That lasted for like two or three games, but yeah. kids were starting to have seizures. Yeah, I, I kind of we, I don't know, we we never had enough money for that. Virtual Boy, that's what yeah. it's called. Yeah. <laughs> now, um, the the first portable I ever had was a Game Boy Color. Yeah, see, I, I went I went from a game the gray brick Game Boy to a Game Boy Advance when I turned ten. Oh, wow, that's a yeah. huge jump. That's like having a Super Nintendo in your hands. Yeah. Yeah, and that was the cool thing about those things. You know, it's like what you loved about the Super Nintendo is right there in this little thing that's the size of an Xbox controller. You know, and Nintendo pretty much has dominated the portable market 
since the introduction of the Game Boy. But uh, in the home console market, you know, it really turned into a war. You know, because you have the Nintendo 64 that that up to the point of the Sony PlayStation's release had, had controlled everything, and then when the PlayStation came out, that that changed the that 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 changed the playing field. I mean, it was disc-based games. You had to deal with the loading and stuff like that, but it was beyond comparison. At oh, yeah. that time, and and I can remember in later years buying a PlayStation at a yard sale for fifteen dollars, and plugging that in, and and like, wow, you know. Yeah, like, no, I remember like playing Final Fantasy VII and just being like, oh my god, this is the best. That like, it's crazy. <laughs> Nothing can be better than this. Yeah, but now, but now, like, if you if you were to you know play Call of Duty or something on your PS3 or your Xbox. Then you went back and played that. You'd be like, well, like why not even like this? This is this is, yeah. <laughs> this is so it looks so terrible. Yeah, absolutely. But you, you know, Sony kind of took over at that point, and they they owned the market with the PlayStation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the PlayStation Two comes out, and that's even better than what Sony had before. Uh, Sega did the Dreamcast, I believe, but that that yeah, fell that. through. That as good as it was, it just couldn't be good enough, you know. So, so we lost Sega then. Nintendo held on strong with the GameCube, um, but but even that wasn't. I I don't think a good comparison to the PlayStation. You know, if you had a PlayStation Two, holy cow! And that and that's where every game that we know of today started. You know, Devil May Cry, Call of Duty, uh, Medal of Honor, uh, all all the the military type shooters that we love now were there. Uh, ev- everything else, you know, on the on the PS2, uh, and, and the the fact that it could play your DVDs, play your CDs, and and things like that too. It, it was just unheard of, you know, at at that time. Fast forward to when the Xbox releases. And and at first, you know, when, when Microsoft was like, this is our introduction to the home console wars. This this is what we're going to put out. You know, you, you had the diehard fans that that attached to it and that stuck with it, but then you had everybody else that was hooked on Sony and hooked on Nintendo, you know, that, that couldn't really see themselves trying something else. And I don't think Xbox really exploded until the 360, like when the 360 came out. And, and most of uh, the people that listen to the podcast either have a 360 or have a PS3 now. It's, I mean, Xbox basically can thank Halo for it being as, as successful as it is. That's right. That's right. Their their launch title, Halo, for the original Xbox. I mean, um, my brother-in-law uh, is a huge Halo fan, and he'd tell me stories about them doing doing LAN parties and stuff like that, setting up a television in one room, setting up a TV in the other room, yeah. and, and just having these wars on Blood Gulch and, and all over the place. I didn't get into Halo until way later. Like, the 360 was on the verge of coming out. I think we were six months away from the 360. And uh, my buddy Robert, uh, I was living with him at the time, he uh, sat me down and said, here, you're going to play this game. I said, I don't even know what it is. He said, here, just play it. And, and I started playing Halo, and I fell in love with it. 
I remember when the Xbox first came out and going over to a friend's house, you know, for a birthday party or something. Yeah. And they had, they had just gotten an Xbox and they had Halo. And I remember we all kind of went in the basement and everybody's like, well, like what's this? You know, we're, we're still pretty young at this point, I think. Yeah. And we're like, what is, like, what is this? And then we all started just firing rocket launchers at each other for like an hour. <laughs> and a tradition was born. Yeah. But, uh, you know, taking it today now, you know, with the 360, what, well, I, I mean, even beyond that, you know, with the Xbox One, which which is what I'm using right now. Uh, two years ago, no way, no way could I use my gaming system to, to help record the podcast that, that we're doing right now, you know, and, and to have as good a audio quality as it provides. That, that, that was unheard of. You, you did that on your computer, you know, that was... That's where that stuff was done, not on your mm-hmm. gaming system, but uh, but with with the Xbox One, even with the controversy that that came with that, you know, where it was the always on, the Connect always had to be watching you, and you know you had to you had to uh, get the system on at least once every 24 hours, or you couldn't even play it. Uh, it had to be connected once every 24 hours to the internet, and uh, with with the discs, you know, when they were trying to do away with the secondary market completely. Yes. That uh, the the people, uh, you know, their their voice can be loud enough, and it was, you know, and it totally changed how the the Xbox One was put out. PlayStation, you know, their their marketing campaign once they found out what Microsoft was doing was was vicious and it was aggressive and uh critics were saying that the PS4 was the system to buy, you know. But uh, you still have your diehards like me who who picks up the Xbox One and you have, you know, my, my friend Jason I think is a uh, huge PlayStation fan, you know, he'll be getting the, the PlayStation 4 when it's his time to pick it up. And my Xbox is listening to what I'm saying now. Every time I say its name, it brings up something. <laughs> it's like, thanks, Sam. Thanks for being a bro. Yeah, right? It, it, says, it says hi to me every time I turn it on. It says, hi, Tim. Oh, hi, Xbox. How you doing? <laughs> Though you never listen to me when my kids are in the room, when I need you to listen to me the most. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I think it's safe to say that uh, over the course of the past 60 years, I mean, with the implementation of the rating system, the the creation of the home console, the arcade games, which which are all but non-existent now, uh, you you know, you only see arcades in in like the tourist traps or yeah. You know, those communities that have just held on to it. Like in the town that I grew up in, it was a little town. But uh, I remember the arcade that they had there. It was called Rackham Arcade. And they had a bunch of pool tables and a bunch of arcade games. And that's where uh, that's where all the, the kids would go. And, and by kids, I mean anybody from 13 to, to 21 would go to Rackham and and play games and stuff like that. It was an unsavory place. Like it was full of tobacco and and other things that that are illegal and and cigarette smoke everywhere and and alcohol, but they they had that <laughs> they, you 
wouldn't think a place like that would exist in a small town, but it did. But uh, in the back, while everybody's playing pool and trying to be uh, cool as cool as a block of ice, you know, you have all those kids that are back there playing Pac-Man and playing golf and and playing Mortal Kombat and stuff yeah. like that. And I think that's a lot cooler than 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 home consoles even. I, I love my home console. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I could not live a day without it probably. I mean I could but but I'd be very unhappy. But uh the arcade games I, I think those are those are a lost treasure. You know that's something that uh needs to come back. But anyways I think that's about enough out of us today, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I think we've beaten <laughs> beaten everything to death so far. Yeah. Well, all right, guys, this is the end of our podcast, so don't forget to hit us up on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash stash my comics. Uh, don't forget to hit us up on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash stash my comics. We update that every day, constantly. Uh, and also, Take a look at the website itself, stashmycomics.com. You'll hit up the blog. we got new things up there. Uh, your Dave 3 review is there. Uh, the uh, last week's podcast is still available. Don't forget to check out the Apes for Comics podcast by uh, Matt and Neil. Great couple of guys. Awesome podcast to listen to, something you need to check out. Uh, also, you've got the advanced review of Rat Queens, which I, I believe you said if you're not reading Rat Queens, you're not living properly. Yep. And Image was like, we agree. <laughs> Absolutely. So if Image agrees with what Leo has to say about that, then you need to definitely check out the review and then go get the book. Uh, also, we've got the advanced review for Samurai Jack up there, webcomic review for Ego Trip number one and two, and also the articles from before. Don't forget Tom's Geek Cinema, where he talks about uh, his thoughts on the Guardians of the Galaxy trailer. Uh, my back issue, been reviewed to the future, is up there. Spawn versus Batman. Also, Leo's correspondence report from Wizard World New Orleans is there, too. So plenty of stuff for you to look at. Plenty of stuff on the website, obviously. It's free to catalog, no gimmicks. And hit up our forum section. Great community in there. Great bunch of guys that would love to talk to you and love to help you out. Leo, you got anything else you want to add? That's about it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we'll see you next week.